Now back to the message. Last week we went through that we talked about a God of action. That the authority of God's word is just not because he speaks it, but, but he has to be God enough to be able to fulfill it. It's easy to do the talk. You know, we meet people in our lives sometimes that talk the talk, but never walk the walk. And what we're finding out is that God not only has the capabilities of doing the talking, but he has the ability to walk the walk. He had just sent Moses from a burning bush. He and Aaron now were standing in the presence of Pharaoh. And I talked about the difference between the presence of Pharaoh and the burning bush. Many of us want to experience that thing that we feel when God is enabling us and empowering us at our burning bush moments. We enjoy the fellowship of the presence of God. And we think that our victory and our freedom is going to be experienced at the burning bush, but really freedom's not experienced till you get enabled at the burning bush. Know who's sending you and the authority in which you're going in. That means that you know your identity through Christ. And then you launch out into finally confronting and facing your enemy, your Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, Moses is standing in front of Pharaoh and he is declaring that God said to let his people go. And I really, one of the main points of last week's sermon was he was for the first time in scripture known as the God of Israel. Not the God, even though he maintains his identity as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He finally reaches out and says, tell them that the God of Israel. That means that if you really take the impact of that statement, he is telling them, I'm the God of even the slaves. Even that group of people that has been in bondage for 400 years, I am their God as well. I'm not just the God of, of the powerful or, or the famous are the gifted. I'm the God of everyone. And so he, Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh and they declare God said to let his people go. And we know the story. He, he, he actually, if you want to really know the detail of it, he says, I, we, God said to let his people go so they could go worship. Because worship is a very important part of freedom. And you're going to see that in today's message. And we know the story, his heart is hardened. And can you imagine the first time if you're Moses and you go and you say, okay, and you take your staff and you put, put it in the Nile River and it turns to blood, but yet the magicians do the same thing? See, the first two plagues listed in the ten plagues, the magicians were able to do. But when the plagues continued, the magicians were unable to continue to fulfill what God was capable of. And finally, we got to the ninth plague. It was the plague of darkness, and they were three days that they couldn't see anything. And the scripture literally declares that while Egypt was in absolute pitch black darkness, they couldn't even get out of their house and they couldn't see anybody in their house. And for you to understand the detail of that, it had to be such a a moisture in the air that they could not start a fire. It was absolutely pitch black. But the same scripture that says Egypt was in darkness, the same scripture says the people of God had light. And so finally, Pharaoh's heart still hardens and we finally approach the 10th plague. It's going to come and God starts chapter 12 of the book of Exodus by declaring his authority over time. And 
I have to start at verse 1 because for you and I, sometimes we find ourselves and it's easy for me to imagine. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the game of golf. But in the game of golf, it's not in the official rule book because it's not really allowed in the official rules. But when you're playing with friends and you're not really loosened up and you get to that first tee and you hit a really bad shot, you tell them, I'm going to take a mulligan. I'm going to try it again. Everybody seems like in life needs a mulligan. Needs a time where we've fallen short, but yet we need to start again. And you need to know that God has the authority to start time all over again for you. That's what Nicodemus was confused about in the New Testament. He said, you must be born again. He said, how can I go back into my mother's womb? And I'm a grown man. And he says, God has the authority that even as a grown man to make you born again, not physically, but spiritually. Well, the book of Exodus starts out like this in verse 1 and 2. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the, of the year for you. He's telling them, I know that your calendar doesn't correspond with the authority of what I'm saying, but I am so powerful that, that we're going to start a new calendar that with this being day one of the first month of a new year. See, every one of us need to be introduced to a God that can say, you know what, in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your crisis, I'm God enough to say, let's start all over again. See, you've been 400 years, day after day, you've been a slave, but tomorrow you're going to be free. And I want you to start acting free right now, and I'm going to get back to that later on in the sermon. And he also introduces the fact that in chapter 12 that there is going to be not only a new calendar and a new time and a new day, but he's also now identifying that freedom is going to come connected to the action and the obedience concerning a lamb. And it goes on to read in verse 3, it says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house, a lamb for a household. <coughs> and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish and a male a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. And when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. God was giving them specific instructions and they were going to have to participate and that participation was going to have to hinge upon the foundation of obedience. He's saying, this is how you're going to get free, but I'm not going to do it for you. He said, you're going to have to take a, a lamb and not just any lamb, but you're going to have to take some time and examine these lambs. They've got to be male and they've got to be a year old and you're going to have to look and examine them closely because they have to be without blemish. They can't be marred. They can't have, have something wrong with them. They have to be the best of the best. And at twilight, you're going to examine them. You're going to gather together enough people to eat a lamb and you're going to call yourself a household and then at a certain time on a certain day on the 14th day you are going to slay that lamb and you are going to collect the blood and you're going to do something specific with that blood see yes Jesus forgives us of our sins because he ultimately in just a few moments you're going to realize he is ultimately the Passover lamb 
But yet salvation is, is I believe, available to the world. But yet there's, there are some that never experience the power of salvation. They don't participate. They're not obedient. See, sometimes we want God to have all the responsibilities in our life of moving us from point A to point B, especially when we find ourselves in any form of bondage. We want God to free us. But God's really not struggling with freeing you as much as you are probably going to struggle with changing how you live to act like you're free. You ever, you ever become habitual or, or discovered you had a habit? And those habits are hard to break, are they not? Same thing when you're bound and you are a slave to sin. When you get set free, the eternity process is done through the authority of God. Now you're heaven ready. But you learning how to live free is something you have to participate in and be obedient to. So all of a sudden, God is telling them, these are the things that I need you to do to participate in the 10th plague. And it's going to allow you to have an open door of freedom that you've never experienced before in your entire life. But you're going to have to participate. See, so many people want to say a magic prayer. And they want just God to do it. God, let me just, let me, how many people do I need to get? You know, you ever... I don't know, maybe you guys don't do it. I, you know, sometimes I found myself guilty of negotiating with God. You know, God, if you'll just do this, this is how I think you should do it. But how many people do I need to get to hold hands with so we can pray and then you just do it? See, one of the things that is so freeing at CityGate is that we are building a culture. And it's, it's sometimes new to us. But we are building a culture of not just knowing that God can, but knowing that he wants to enable us so we can participate through obedience and being his hands and eyes and ears extended to a community, preaching the gospel with both word and deed. It requires participation and sometimes participation moves us to a place of change. He's telling them, you better get ready because you can't act like a slave anymore because you're about to be free. And so he tells them, you're going to have to collect this blood and gives them specific instructions. And they were to eat the lamb and catch the blood and apply it to the doorposts and the lintels of their house. The blood of the lamb would now identify the people of God and protect them from the 10th plague. I want to say that one more time. The blood of the lamb was now going to identify who the people of God really are and going to protect them from the 10th plague. See, the authority of the power of the blood of Christ in all of our lives comes with substantial impact to our lives. We are set free from the power of the bondages of sin through the power of the blood. But we have to participate with applying that blood to our lives, not just having knowledge of it. See, if I ask people to raise their hand today and say, how many of you will acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior of the world that died on a cross and resurrected from the dead? I am probably likely to get, if not 100%, 99% of people to raise their hand. The knowledge of Him being Savior is not the thing that saves you. It's the application of that knowledge into your, into your individual life. It's actually participating in Romans 10. That if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart 
That is the moment where transformation takes place. It's not just in your mind where you think, because so many people will tell me all the time, they'll say, well, pastor, I believe in God. I'm like, okay, I got some really crushing news for you. The Bible says the devil believes in God. So belief is not the thing that sets you free. It's the application of the knowledge that you believe in. It's when the power of the blood of Jesus now transforms your life and you go from an unbeliever to a believer, go from a sinner to a saint. Transformation takes place. Well, pastor, are you saying we're saints? Well, we are qualified for sainthood through the authority of the blood of Jesus, but none of us live like saints. Can we say amen? Because none of us are perfect. He's telling them that you're going to have to not only kill this lamb, catch the blood, but then you're going to take hyssop or a weed that is going to act as a paintbrush. You're going to paint it on the outside of your doorpost and you're going to now be identified, now saved or protected by the blood of a lamb. And then you're going to have to eat the lamb that you've killed. And here's one of the points that I have to make really quickly is that he told them how to specifically cook this lamb and they were going to make not only eat the meat of the lamb, but they were going to eat bitter herbs. See, something in your life has to be sweet and something has to be bitter. See, as long as you try to make sin sweet, you can't hardly make Jesus sweet. But if you remember, the reason that he told them to add bitter herbs was he wanted to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. The power that someone had over them, the authority to keep them subject to their will for 400 years. So when all of a sudden, when transformation takes place in our life and sin becomes bitter to us, isn't it amazing how sweet Jesus gets? How the lamb becomes that we remember the bitterness of what we went through caused by the decisions of our own mind and heart that led us to sin. According to James, we were not led away and tempted but for, with evil by God, but we were led away by our own lust and our minds and our decisions and our heart to do our own thing. And then we finally submitted to God having control, really. And and we should really be co-pilot in our life and allow him to be pilot. And the moment that we put him in the driver's seat, isn't it amazing? It doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. But isn't it amazing to have a faith to believe that no matter what you go through, he's sitting right there? That you're not going through it alone? And he becomes sweet. And so now that they are there, now... Did you realize that our Passover lamb is actually Jesus? Because the same lamb that now was taking away the death angel, protecting them, and he was going to pass over their house because of the blood, that's the tenth plague. Death to the firstborn. Do you realize that the power of the Lamb is identified as Jesus in the New Testament? According to 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, Paul says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Again, in John 1 and 29, it says John the Baptist looking at Jesus. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. There are so many similarities and foreshadowings of Christ in this Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12. They are uncanny and unbelievable. Let me just name a few. (laughs) 
I love the first one. Do you realize that in Exodus chapter 12, the month that God is talking about being the first month of the first day is called Nisan or Nisan. It's, it's spelled like Nisan, the car. It's Nisan. Okay. And that, that lamb was to be selected on the 10th day of Nisan. Do you realize that Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem on the 10th day of Nisan? Four days later, both of them would be killed on Passover. That's how ironic and unbelievable the similarities are. Both would be free from defect, according to 1 Peter 1 and 19, but with precious blood of Christ like a lamb without blemish or spot. Remember the qualifications in Exodus chapter 12? The lamb had to be without spot and blemish. Both would be killed on Passover. Both would have blood associated with wood. The blood of the Lamb of Exodus chapter 12 had to be smeared on the outward wooden doorpost. Jesus' blood would be smeared on a cross. Blood has the power to protect and the agent to, be, to cause freedom. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, according to Ephesians chapter 1. Also in John, 1 John 1 and 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Blood saves from God's wrath in both Exodus chapter 12 and throughout the New Testament with Jesus being our Passover lamb. Both were killed publicly. Couldn't be done in secret. And finally, none of the bones of the lamb or none of the bones of Jesus were to be broken. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, And it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall not break any of its bones. Now you have John 19 and 36. For these things took place, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, that not one of His bones will be broken. So now you have the power of this blood over the doorpost, out, an outward expression of faith. It wasn't something to be uh, hidden. It was, the blood was on the outside of the door. We should be public markers of the power of transformation and the power of grace that our life has been changed and we should not hold that secret. It is not, I know that it's not very popular in culture, but being a Christian, a Christ follower, is something to be proud of. Amen? But this is where things start to change. Faith. Many of us have the knowledge of God, but I wonder how many of us have the faith. Will you get ready to play me something, Miss Judy? Pace yourself. I got one whole, ser- a whole part of the sermon, so don't get in a rush. Faith. Oh, maybe all of us, if, most of us, if not all of us, have said that sinner's prayer. We took our faith, put it into action. Did you really believe it? Can God, through the simplicity of a prayer of confessing and receiving the unbelievable gift of salvation, could He really absolve you from everything that you've ever done? Everything up until that point, can it really be, as the Bible says, taken as far as the east is from the west from you? Does it really get, you know... uh, 
I don't want to miss, there's so many people that misquote the scripture and I'm not going to try to do that. But there, you know, the Bible does mention a sea of forgetfulness. Can my trespasses really be, all of the sin that I've ever committed, can it really be handled by the shedding of the blood of Christ and the power of the resurrection? Yes, it can. Here's the cool, the cool part about that. Not only can it handle everything I did before I said the prayer, but God knows everything I'll do after the prayer, and it's enough for that too. Not just for me, but if we combined all of our sins together and the sins of all humanity together, the power of the blood is still enough. And here's where I really... Look around you, folks. There was a Sunday not long ago where I think we had 39 or 40 people in our first service. We've been over 90 for four straight weeks. That's something to be proud of. But it's not an accomplishment of where we're going. See, sometimes you have to act like you're a church of a thousand when you're a church of a hundred. You have to start getting a new mentality and a new understanding of our faith and what we're going to do as an impact. And yes, we are, we are a large church when you combine all of our services and all that we do. I'm not talking about the power of just the number of people we count. But sometimes we get a mentality and, and, and it's something that we've had to break as we've moved forward of this fear-driven mentality that we're dying. No, we're not. We've got 13 people being baptized today. 13. We have life happening in all of our services. Yes, there was a time where, where our first service was struggling. But we've participated and had faith to believe in something that was yet ahead of us. Can you imagine telling slaves that have never breathed the first breath of freedom in 400 years? He tells them, not only do I want you to eat this lamb, but I want you to get ready and get your clothes on and get your shoes on and get your belt on. I want you ready to leave when you eat it. You see how strange that is? That after 400 years of waking up the next day, going and making bricks, that God is telling you, you're about to eat of something today that is going to set you free. And you're going to have to start changing your mentality and your, your personality because you're going to wake up and then you'll go into your habit of getting up and doing the routine of going and making bricks again. But you're fixing to leave this place. He tells him, eat it with your shoes on. Your belt on and you ready and got you got yourself together ready to leave. What a step of faith is I'm not only eating it, but I'm believing that what he's telling me is really going to happen. And so all of a sudden he start they they go into their household, they do the, they're obedient. And the death angel comes and every household marked by blood. Not one single death. Those eating in their, the, the, the sanctity of the protection under the banner of the blood are eating the lamb. It's bitter and sweet. They've got their shoes on. They've got their coats on. They've got their belts on. They're ready to go. And at midnight, Pharaoh summons Moses. And I want you to, I'm going to go up here to my outline so they can put it up there so I can identify which scripture it is. You're not going to leave like slaves. 
is what God was telling them. He was telling them in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31, it said, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Look at what he tells them. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and go and also bless me. Remember when we started plague number one, Pharaoh said with with kind of a smugness and a pride, who is this God that I should listen to? Not only has he been introduced to the powerful God of the nation of Israel, but now he is submitted to surrendering to the God of Israel, allowing them to go worship. And he has now identified the sovereign power of this God and says, before you leave, will you bless me? In one of the older translations, King James says at midnight. I like that new day happening. But right in the middle of the dark, he said, get your people and get them the heck up out of here. You about to kill us all. (laughs) The Egyptians are so afraid of the God of Israel that the Bible literally says that they could ask for anything and it would be given to them. Listen, it says, And the Egyptians, in verse 33, were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, and the kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, and they had asked the Egyptians for silver, gold, jewelry, and for clothing. See, before midnight, they were dressed like slaves. But they had a faith to believe that God would get them out through the power of a lamb and they were ready to go at a moment's notice. And as they leave, they're not going to walk out like slaves. They're carrying gold, silver, clothing. And the the enemy is actually giving them the blessings. See, sometimes we walk in the authority of the sovereignty of the power of God. But I'm going to ask you, are you going to dress tomorrow like a slave? Are you going to dress like you're somebody? Because you've been set free. And I wrote this in the conclusion. And I'm a, I'm, I would love to dive into each and every one of your hearts and minds and find out what you really prayed today. But I'm going to leave that as a personal thing. The chapter ends with the declaration that the Egyptians were plundered and they gave the Israelites anything they asked for. What would you ask for today? If you were leaving whatever bondage you're in. Verse 36 says, And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Would you ask for peace of mind? Repair of a relationship? Healing in your body? A healing of a broken heart or a wounded soul? The power of the blood can set you free and do miracles. What would you ask for? If Jesus is our Passover lamb and we have the authority through his blood to walk out of our present bondage, the bondage of sin, and that bondage be broken by the authority of of his blood, and the enemy cannot hold us captive... 
And we are now set free, not just qualified for heaven. I preached about that last week. That heaven's icing on the cake. You get Jesus right now. So many of us will immediately go to the end of our life and say, well, I just want to go to heaven. Okay, you got heaven secure. But what would you ask for right now to live like you're free? What's that thing that you would ask God to say, God... My heart's been broken. Would you heal the broken pieces of my heart? What is it? Because the same God that set Egypt for, or Israel free from Egypt is the same God I preach about today. And He's able to set you free. Would you stand to your feet?